This is Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World, coming to you live from Austin, Texas. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverage in hand. My name is Tim Gasper. I am longtime product guy and data nerd, joined by Juan. Hey, Tim. It's me, Juan Cicada, principal scientist here at Data.World, and always a pleasure. Middle of the week, end of the day, and uh, today we're going to, as always, talk about data, but we're going to talk about a different kind of side about data. I think kind of more in the people, the human side of data, the have a really honest conversation here about what does it mean to actually work in this data world? And I want to introduce a very special guest. It's Steve Perry. He's the director of data analytics from Genius Sports. And, and before, before we kind of jump into the conversation, I want to read out uh, something that Steve uh, sent us. Uh, Steve was a, a listener, has always has been a listener for our podcast. And he reached out to us uh, kind of talking about the different topics. And he wrote this. I'm just going to read it. It says, I do have one observation about your podcast. Your guests are excellent and all have a massive amount of industry experience, which they share on the podcast. I learned huge amounts from them and their experience, but it would also be nice to hear from a guest that represents me a little bit better. At 36, I am a relatively young for the director of data position I hold in my current role. While I have 16 years of experience to fall back on, started working at, at 20 after getting kicked out of the university, it is nothing compared to the levels of experience of many of our, your guests. Yes, yet I am facing the same challenges that they are either working to solve or producing products and services. Of course, I can and do learn from the mistakes of others, but I also make a lot myself. I might be totally off the mark here, but I have a suspicion that your listeners may benefit from a session or two with the speaker who is trying to address the same problems using the same toolkit, but does not necessarily benefit from the same weight of experience or industry recognition. I have a feeling that their insights and motivations may provide an interesting alternative viewpoint. Just an idea and happy to talk about it further. So we actually just pinged Steve and like we all realize we're all in the same boat here. We're all same age here and honestly... A lot of this stuff, like we're making this, we're making this shit up as we go. And we just have to have more of these conversations. And we just said, hey, Steve, you're the best. You brought this up. You're the best person to talk about it. Steve, I am really excited to have this conversation today. And I've a lot of people have pinged me privately and saying they're super excited because this is something that we don't talk about. So thank you for bringing this up because this is a conversation we need to have more. So how are you doing, Steve? <laughs> My long um, intro. Uh, that's that's a very long intro. Thank you very much. It, it, I've I've got three things written down here, which is uh, reminders to myself. One's not to say anything embarrassing about myself. Uh, so yeah, kicked out of university. There we go. Off to off to a good start. And the other is don't swear. <laughs> and you've already you've already sworn. So um, I can just cross these things off the list. Maybe we'll get to all three. Um, yeah, very well. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's kick it off here. So what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? So Steve, you go first. Um, so I'm actually in Estonia this week, um, visiting our, our office out here. So um, I'm drinking to being able to travel again and meeting my colleagues. Um, the hotel that I'm in, I'm quite lucky. We've got a cocktail bar on the, uh, the top floor uh, and they're still still open. It's midnight here. So uh, yeah, I've got a, an old fashioned, a maple old fashioned, which is actually a little bit watery now, but uh, still tasty. 
Well, th- we are here always live, right? We do this live. It's midnight. Yep. Thank you so much for being uh, taking the time. It's, it's your nightcap, so we're ready to have a cool conversation before you go to bed. How about you, Tim? What are you uh, drinking today and toasting for? Oh, great question. Well, first of all, thanks so much, Steve, for for coming on the show today. Very excited to have you here and for, as Juan said, staying up late to join <laughs> us at our usual time. We're we're very we're very good and strict about this broadcast time that we've that we've stuck to for so many episodes, which is amazing. Um, I am drinking actually a derivative of a cocktail that I had um, a couple of episodes ago. It was called a Rhyme and Reason, and it was blood orange cordial, rye, orgeat, and lime. Uh, And this time I actually made it with um, a light scotch instead. Um, So it's got a little bit of that smokier flavor to it. And I was like, I got to play off of the Rhyme or Reason kind of uh, uh, word there. So I said, maybe it's called a food for thought. So that's my contribution to the the, the cataloging cocktails cocktail book. And uh, there you go. I, I will drink to to more, you know, traveling and in person stuff. I, I know finally events are starting to come back to fruition, so can't wait. And I'm having uh, one of my favorite drinks. Uh, it's called the Carajillo, which is the Licor del 43, liquor of the 43, and the espresso. That's, that's it. It's a nice, delicious, and I'm cheering for for travel. Uh, last week I was uh, visiting my other visiting my parents and family in Playa del Carmen, and next week I'm off to Europe. I will be next Monday in in Paris, and the following Monday in London. So anybody who's listening, please reach out. Would love to meet with folks. So cheers to cheers to travel. And cheers to seeing everybody here in person. Cheers, Steve. Cheers. And Steve, I'll see you then in two weeks too. I'm really excited about that. So all right, we got our funny warm up question today. So. What's an awkward conversation you've walked into and quickly realized you don't belong? It's such a rich tapestry to choose from. Um, <laughs> it's, um, I think I think there are uh, the, the the nature of sort of having a, a large program of change means that I quite often walk into conversations and and I'm being or th- things that I've said or things that my team have said and are, pushed, are pushing through is being referenced without people realizing that's where it's come from. Um, but actually, I think probably uh, the most awkward uh, example or, or the best example comes from um, here in the UK, we've got something called NCT, which is uh, the National Childbirth Trust. So it's sort of the thing that you do before you have kids and you, you basically you're meant to get a bit of training, but you don't really you, uh, you kind of meet, meet a bunch of friends uh, that you kind of go through that journey with. Um, so the awkward conversation is uh, any conversation that's the, where, where the girls in that group think they're speaking themselves just on their own. So if you're having uh, having a few drinks or a party and you walk into the kitchen and they're all talking, you quickly walk back out again because it's probably stuff that you're not meant to hear. <laughs> that's a very interesting one. <laughs> How about you, Tim? You have a you have an awkward conversation story? <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! I don't know. That's so hard. Um, I don't know. I guess my contribution to this question would be like. Um, you know, now that we're starting to interact more, like, uh, you know, in both in sort of in person as well as, you know, even virtually more interaction sort of post as we move into our sort of post COVID phases here. Right. Like it's um, uh, I've had to interact more with like other parents um, of, of our children. So a little bit similar to your story, Steve, where like I. I honestly, I think I forgot how to talk to like how to small talk to like other random adults. Like, it's like, ah, you know, what's the weather? Like, ah, you know, what grade is your kid in? You know, like, I don't know. I'm so bad at that now. All I do is talk about data. It's weird. <laughs> and you can't just turn the camera off in real life either. You have right. To, you you have can't to just be like, oh, despair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think so, lately I've been, uh, so my wife, she's she, she's a researcher in, in special education and, and she works with children with autism. So when we get together with different groups, it's like, 
they all start talking about their research and I'm like, Oh, uh, I'm just going to sit down here and listen and learn because it's kind of weird to get into that. And they, they she works in a very uh, severe behavior unit. So there's a lot of awkward conversations over there that sometimes I think I should not be listening to this. But yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's kick this off with our honest no BS discussion here. So, OK. All right. We are all figuring out our career paths to success in this data world. Right. That has so much noise. So we got to be honest and no BS with ourselves here. We all suffer from imposter syndrome. Like we feel that we're not competent. We feel that we don't belong here. What are the challenges that we actually face that we're not talking about? I, I mean, I, th I think that's that's the main that's the main one because you don't often hear people talking about imposter syndrome. And, and I think sort of you know you see articles published in on LinkedIn and things like that. And but again, it's kind of it's not that that sort of personal connection because one of the risks with imposter syndrome or one of the perceived risks is you know it's true so you you, you kind of like you take a real leap of faith talking to someone about it because in your head you're there saying well you know what if that person turns around and says well actually you know this is wrong or you are wrong or, or like this is easy and you should be solving it this way uh, and the reality is that even if that were the case, like people are always willing to offer their advice, they're always willing to kind of like you know, point people, point people forwards. And and like I myself get a huge amount of value out of like helping people sort of with things that you know potentially are quite obvious to me. I, I get a lot of value out of helping helping them move forward in that. So I kind of in my head I don't practice what I preach. I, I'd never turn around to someone and say that's a really stupid thing or that's an easy thing or, or like you know why are you struggling with this. But I kind of, in my head, I sort of expect expect it from like coming into myself, which is a really strange way of thinking about it. So it's a, I guess it's like a, a sort of a, a psychological quirk, and you kind of always, always worried that uh, that someone's doing something better than you without any proof or data. Well, I think when we were talking before about this, I think we were surrounded a lot by. I mean, these these visuals, these images of social media on Twitter and LinkedIn and everybody celebrating all these things and they're living their best lives. And I, I see sometimes like people posting on LinkedIn is like, hey, why does everybody people you only post when you get the promotion, you only post when you do this. But nobody's ever talking about those negative things like I, I didn't get the promotion or this project that I did is actually failing right now. Yeah. And. And so I think that also contributes to that imposter syndrome. Like, look, everybody else is, I, I only hear positive things around me and I don't feel I'm like that. I think this is, the, I mean, that's the issue is that we're all just, we just see this positive world out there when in reality, it's not always like that. And, and I think as well, like a lot of it is, a lot of the content that you get is from, is from an angle of someone it's an oversimplification to say someone trying to sell something because there's lots of different reasons you'd sell something. You'd sell a service, you'd sell a consultancy, you'd sell a product, but all of those things are designed to solve to solve a problem. So a lot of the media and the content that you that, that people sort of consume is has that angle of like, well, you know, if you have this problem, then there is this solution that you can that you can pay money for. Um, and again, that's not always the that's not always the right approach. It's not always helpful, and it sometimes actually just makes the problem makes the problem worse. And I think sort of, you know, the the problems in the real problems in in sort of data is they're, they're cultural ones, and they're things that products can't solve in themselves. And you kind of can get wrapped wrapped up chasing these sort of these new these new products, which you know they are like it's an amazing time to work in data there's so much there's so many new products and they are all fantastic in their own ways 
but they're not going to solve a cultural problem in an organization. They're not going to uh, teach an organization the, the value of data. They're not going to, they're not going to sort of instill good um, uh, data literacy within, within teams. They're not going to do any of those things themselves. And those are the, those are the real things that create change and the, the force multipliers for, for being better with data in an organization. So, you know, Steve, like this idea of being better at data starts to just to raise up thoughts in my mind about like, you know, when you apply imposter syndrome to like, you know, being a data expert, right? Um, I think each of us goes through an interesting journey around that. And, 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 and I'll, I'll speak for the three of us here. I feel like I'm constantly learning and I certainly don't know that I would call myself a data expert. If somebody said like, Hey, are you a data expert? I'd be like, I, I don't know. Like, I got things to say, but I, I there's a ton I don't know. And I mean, I'm curious, you know, Steve, what's, you know, as much as you're willing to share here, like, what has been your journey around, you know, like, oh, like, there's all these experts around me. And then there's that moment where somebody says, hey, Steve, can you give a talk and tell us about this thing? Or, hey, can you be on this panel? And you're like, what? Why? Why am I on this panel? Yeah. Are, uh, like, like tell, tell us about your journey a little bit. I, I'd also like to appreciate the irony of me writing to you guys to talk about imposter syndrome and then coming on to a show where I've already acknowledged that most of the people here are, are vastly but more qualified than me. So this is kind <laughs> of like, you know, the either the. But this the is that it's 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 a it's preying on us again, right? Yes, <laughs> you are the, cure, the, the trigger for uh, for anxiety for anxiety. But uh, <laughs> I, I I think like it's it, it's for me personally part of its personality. Like I. I my my friends and colleagues will tell you I'm never short of uh, an opinion or two, and I'm, I'm always quite willing to share it. And I think sort of as 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 I've progressed through my career, I've just had things that are more relevant to to say. And I think the the real difference is I've always been willing to talk up. I've always been willing to to make my thoughts known. Uh, as I get as I get older, as I get a bit more mature, as I get hopefully sort of like better at my job. Um, what I have to say becomes more relevant and targeted, um, and and I think that 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 helps. Um, and and you kind of when, when you hear people saying things that you've said that you've said, and they say it back to you without knowing that they're repeating it to you. That that's a real sort of a, a real kind of like game changer. And it feels it feels great to sort of like to to hear people talking about something that you've said without realizing that you're you're the person that said it. Um, I, I think I, I, I'm like you. I wouldn't refer to myself as an expert. Um, I, I am. I am surprised when people, sort of outside of outside of the company that employs me, asks my opinion on things. Um, and I think that's. I, I think that's good. I, I think it sort of keeps keeps me keeps me sharp, keeps me focused, and you know keeps sort of like arrogance uh, at bay. Hopefully, um, I, I think also it. Imposter syndrome helps with the challenge of data in in general because we we sort of we touched on we, we touched on sort of like why data is hard and and I think part of that is because there's there's things that are outside of your control and 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 there's things that you can't you can't necessarily influence either straight away or or at all uh, so if you go in with the attitude of sort of like you know I, I'm an expert I know exactly what 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 needs to happen then I think that could lead to frustration quite quickly. Um, on our on our sort of catch up call uh, with uh, one, we sort of referenced the point that like I think the the average tenure for a chief data officer is about two years, and I think sort of it's a it's a combination of sort of 
you know, unrealistic expectations and then frustration from the person in the role as well, because change takes change takes time. And the things that like the, the real sort of like profound organizational change, which a lot of companies are looking for, is a really, really slow, slow process. So I think imposter syndrome uh, kind of keeps helps keep you humble and helps keep you sort of like focused on what you're on what you're trying to achieve and actually makes makes it more. Uh, it can make it sort of like more likely to for you, for you to be more more likely to be successful. I think. So I want to I want to get into like some concrete kind of scenarios that 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 we've probably all been through, and and, and one is for example, like here's a plan. Like your boss says, we're going to go do this the, the, the strategy, and you're going to go implement this stuff. And you may realize that you think your boss is wrong, or it's not the right way, right? And you think that you have a different way and like, yeah, but it's it's it's, it's your manager, they're telling you how to go do this. Like, so there's that type of scenarios. I know we've talked about that before. Like, how do you manage that stuff? And also you wanna be able to kind of be part of that community to kind of get more input to confirm, am I, am I because my boss has more experience and, 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 but I mean, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm seeing it differently than what they're saying. Like, how are you seeing this within kind of your particular role and any other, any other folks that you go talk to, but how to manage those dynamics within you and your manager when it comes to like implementation and not, not agreeing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. Um, and I think sort of, you know, you, you get, you get a lot of different personality types in, in technology, but they're, they're kind of like, you know, part of the same Venn diagram and in the same circle in the, in, in that Venn diagram. So those, those personalities can, can clash from time to time. Um, I think sort of, what, what what I try and do is you know, first and foremost, you know, pick your battles. Sort of un understand if if it's sort of like is it is it really worth is it really worth sort of dying on a hill for it? Is it really like how how much how much sort of like political capital are you going to expend on it? Like how how far are you going to take it? Um, I, I think as well, sort of you know, if if it's a kind of any situation, it's sort of like you know my my opinion versus your opinion in any in any circumstances is always is always challenging because it's two people sort of throwing their opinions at one another. Especially if it's in a kind of like you know uh, a, a sort of a hierarchical structure where one person's the manager and the other person is the uh, the, the manager. Um, so I think in that circumstance, one of the things that is is really really important is to look for support to to look you know who's who's around both sort of like external to to the company uh, or the organization, but also internally as well. Understand like you know make make sure that you are speaking from a a position of confidence. Make sure that you've got some ideally some data to back things up. And kind of just think think about how you can move it away from it being sort of like my opinion versus your opinion, and think and think sort of really clearly in terms of well, how are we going to progress this forward? What what do I what do I need to avoid getting sort of stuck in an argument to avoid making it a kind of like a sticky situation, uh, and just kind of get get to the right outcome, whatever whatever that is. And sometimes that's like letting go. Sometimes that's kind of you know doing things that aren't necessarily wrong but aren't the way that you think they should be done and, and sort of you know being okay with that and other times it's kind of you know putting putting your foot down and and sort of just saying like you know these for these for these reasons this is this is why this this path is correct and uh, and sort of hoping that you're you've got sort of that uh that relationship established and that level of trust where you can kind of be given the uh the freedom to to sort of follow follow your direction um right. It's it's always a challenging one. Like the, any, as I said, like any any conversation that's like one person's opinion versus another person's opinion, that like you want to get away from that as quickly as possible because they 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 tend to get quite quite heated quite quickly. Yeah. How, how do you how do you build the confidence <clears throat> to know like what's the right approach there? And 
does that confidence always result in better business results? Um, so to answer the second point, like, no, no, like, you know, confidence, confidence can be well-placed. Confidence can also be misplaced. Um, and you know, no, no one's right all the time. Um, so just, just being confident about something sort of isn't, isn't enough. Um, in terms of, in terms of like building that confidence and, and sort of not, not just for yourself, but in terms of like, you know, whatever your position in an organization is, um, I think like building relationships is, is key, you know, speak to as many people as you, as you possibly can, uh, have as many different, have as many different type of people. Don't just speak to data people, speak to, speak to business people, speak to, speak to tech people, speak to developers, because you've got then a wide array of opinions to help sort of like hone your own opinion, uh, which will give you the confidence, you know, not, I haven't just sort of spoken to a bunch of other uh, data architects or, or you know, data engineers and within our sort of like our, our, our vision, our, our, our sort of, our kind of view of the world, we're all agreed this is the right approach. You've got a more sort of varied pot of people to to prove uh, to uh, to speak about and to say, you know, we spoke with uh, our accounts team and they're they're in favour of this approach for for these reasons because it benefits them in this way. We spoke with our commercial team and they're and they're the same. So having those relationships and, and building those relationships, not just within your your field but with, without of it as well, outside of it as well, really really helps. So one of the things that we also talked about before was when when we're seeing people talk about kind of all their successes and stuff, uh, you, I mean, you see this on LinkedIn, on Twitter and so forth. Sometimes it's like too high level, right? It's too just ideas and concepts and almost seems like a, an utopia. Like, wow, I can't believe they're actually doing that. And, and I'm not there and I'm feeling bad because I'm like, apparently they're being super successful. I'm not, but... We really don't know what's going underneath the hood, right? Are they just, I mean, are they, what are the details there? So uh, how are you, I mean, how do you see this balancing? I mean, you, I mean, in, in your company, like how you're following other, other leaders on LinkedIn, on social media, you're seeing what they're doing. Like, how are you, are you reaching out to the folks or, or, or to, to learn from them? Uh, or, or, I mean, that that's the stuff that I, I wonder, like, because I tell many people, it's like, just go talk, just go message them. Worst case scenario, they won't answer. Best case scenario is that they will, and you'll have a fantastic conversation. And you'll learn from each other, hopefully. Yeah, well, I mean, case in point, this conversation, I'm, I'm quite happy to reach out to people and uh, and, and sort of, you know, speak, speak speak to them and sort of un understand what they're doing. Um, I think I, I've had some really some really good experience. Um, I'm part of a few sort of like smaller smaller communities, um, and and they've been really beneficial because it's sort of. With with larger sort of like conferences and, and larger events, I find them increasingly a bit of a, a kind of you never really know what you're going to get. Like on, on the one hand, you get sort of um, you know, paid for conferences, which can, tend to have like quite a narrow focus. Um, but um, uh, but you, you kind of you go in knowing knowing what you're going to get out of it. A lot of the more generic conferences are free these days, uh, which is great. But it means they've got to be funded in some way, shape, or form, and, and a huge amount of the the talks and a lot of the content has some sort of like sales angle or advertising angle um, attached to it. So it's it, it's quite challenging to sort of understand whether whether you're talking to someone because they've they've tried something or, or like, and, and they're, they're giving you that advice based on their own learning, or whether it's sort of you know there's a sales pitch coming at the end of it, or uh, or, or there's a new products that you should be you should be really trying. Um, so 
what, some of the really good experiences I have has been exactly just those, those smaller scale conversations. There's one, um, there's one example from, from this community. We were talking around uh, having a conversation around data mesh and um, I, I sort of made, made my thoughts, made my thoughts clear. Um, and there was uh, a, a person from uh, quite a big bank in the UK, a very well-respected bank, and this person had a very sort of, you know, very uh, uh, impressive title, and their CV was very impressive. Uh, their, their educational background was very impressive. And this person said, you know, would you like to uh, have a quick chat with me about uh, so we can sort of take this further? And I was a bit intimidated going into it because they, they worked for a much larger organization. They, they had a more sort of like, I perceived them to have a more prestigious uh, position than me. And, and I sort of, I felt kind of like, you know, what are they gonna, what are they really gonna learn from me? Like, what can they learn from me? And so anyway, we, we had this conversation and I was apprehensive going into it, but it turned out completely the opposite to what I was expecting. It, it, it was a really sort of, it, we started talking about the various different challenges that we were facing. We started talking about how we were solving it. And it turned out that we were actually quite far ahead of where they wanted to be. And then at the end of that conversation, uh, the person I was speaking to said, you know, this is quite aspirational for us. So we're, we're, we're sort of like a few years away from even being able to think about, uh, think about this sort of, this sort of approach to, to data, this sort of like this, this availability that you have now. Um, and I, I kind of came away from that really, really excited and wanting to have more of these conversations. Because not 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 because it made me feel good about myself, but it kind of it. I'd helped someone. I'd, I'd sort of I'd, I'd shown them. I'd shown them sort of like you know what what we what, what we were doing and kind of like the art of the possible uh, in that regard. But I was I was expecting to kind of like learn learn from them. There was that like un, unexpected change in the conversation. So yeah, just talking talking to lots of people and and kind of you've got to almost be brave. You've got to kind of go into it and just go, you know, like maybe, maybe I'm going to get something out of this. Maybe they're going to get something out of it. Maybe it's not going to be a good conversation. That's, that's okay. They can't, they right. can't all be winners, but it's uh, yeah. Like you just have to have those conversations and you have to, you have to keep talking. And so exactly as you say, one, like you, you just gotta, you gotta talk to people. Yeah. You got, you got to suss out pretty quick. Like, uh, like if they're, if, if, if this person's going to give me a pitch or not, then uh, ideally, even if they're a, a salesperson, ideally they're going to, they're going to have more of that open and sort of honest conversation with you. And then regardless of whether somebody's a vendor or not, like when you find these smaller communities and these smaller groups of people, then you're able to really talk more about like what's really happening and, yeah. and what are they doing? That's good that you could draw from. What are you doing? That's good that they can draw from. I, I, I like some of your takeaways here. And, you know, I think, people talk about networking and like the value of networking. And I think a lot of times people think about the one side of networking, which is more the like, well, there's that person who is like the leader in the space or like the person that you kind of look up to and you're like, oh, well, you got to network that with that person. So now you have that connection, right? But then there's the networking, which is like your peers and like other people who are doing similar things or in some cases, not your peers. People are doing different things and provide a different perspective to go back to something you said earlier. To provide yeah. you a view onto like, oh, interesting, like that's, you know, we, we, we struggle with data integration challenges and y'all actually sound like you're struggling with a different part of the stack. Like, why is that? Like, oh, interesting. Like, so you, you have a different strategy or a different approach or your team looks different or you learn about all these different things that can only happen when you do that kind of more small group networking. Yeah. And I, I, th I think like so many things in life, like it has been more challenging the last few years and kind of the the nature of, of these sort of networking things has, has changed dramatically. Like, I, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but in my experience, there's a lot more, there are a lot more events. There's a lot more, there's a lot more virtual things going on because obviously the cost is so, is so much lower and they're easier to put on. 
and there's so much there's so much out there you you really have to pick and choose and, and you do get a lot of noise coming through and then the events themselves like because i've been on i've been on both sides and it's it's quite like uh it can be quite dehumanizing it's quite hard to get it right from a virtual a virtual perspective you know if you're there as a if you're there as a sort of a participant, it's very, very hard to feel like you're engaged. It's very, very hard to get people engaged. And if you're there presenting as well, you can often feel like a, like a radio presenter. Like you're, you're there sort of like speaking to the masses. You can't read anyone's reactions in the room. You can't sort of understand whether people are, are taking on board what you're saying, whether they're agreeing or disagreeing. And you kind of have to, you can't, you can't react to it in any way. You got to sort of like kind of stay the path and hope for the best. And, and you don't really get, you don't tend to get the same level of feedback that you would like. You don't get people coming up to you after the uh, after the presentation and talking to you about it, or meeting you in the bar later. So I think, yeah, like 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 so many things in life, the last couple of years has made that networking element more more challenging. Um, and I think it's, it's more challenging because there's just there's, there's almost too much opportunity to do it, and it's hard to find the like the high quality high quality sort of moments that that are really worth pursuing. Yeah, so it's this, definitely interesting. This is the, you're bringing up something I never thought about is when it comes to, I mean, there's the pre-COVID world and now this, po this post-COVID world in a way. And, and there's always been these conferences that we go to. And then now we have these virtual things. But in reality, I think there's something that we need to co consider when it comes to like networking events and conferences is that there's this big community and the smaller communities, right? So it is, it can be very overwhelming to go, network and go and figure out in this big community but you you may want to go find a smaller community i mean i don't know how that would look like but and that's where you may feel a little bit more comfortable you may feel more comfortable to be brave and go talk to people about that so that's an interesting perspective because i mean if you're more of an extrovert you're probably going to be comfortable in a bigger place if you're an introvert it's going to be really hard but if you're in a smaller setting maybe that can be easier so that's a that's a really interesting perspective that, that i see there um i, I do have I, I, I i'm curious about one thing is Within your company, your organization, like your company, how can or how should your company, the culture within your company to go help drive this confidence, right? Help address these issues of, of, of imposter syndrome. I don't know if like, is there something that your company does or does your manager do, your leadership do, or you think that they should be doing? Like, what is the message uh, for that? Yeah, so I, mean, I think- I wanted to bring up one thing is that you brought up originally that we're seeing all these products and they want to go solve all the problems, but a lot of these data problems are cultural issues too. So we've seen that culture is not just to data, but it's also the culture of the employees when it comes to dealing with the confidence and, and, and the imposter syndrome. So culture is like a big thing here that we need to be talking more about. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to your question, um, but it's, it's kind of one of my colleagues sent me an article over the weekend that was really, really good. And it was talking about kind of the fight between Snowflake and Databricks. So you know we are we're customers of both of these companies, and you know sometimes we feel a little bit like the the children of two divorced parents, where they you know they used to used to go on really really well, and now now they're sort of you know sniping each other the whole time. Um, but the article was basically just talking about their their initial approach to to advertising, and it was it was kind of like picking up the difference, and it, and it kind of like. It, it touches on elements of the conversation about like you know presenting either sort of like reality or like what is your best life and and the article was was effectively saying you know snowflake's initial uh, uh initial strategy was um basically we're we're a cloud version of postgres that's faster and infinitely scalable uh you, you, you can you can start using us if you if you want help come come get us great 
Whereas Databricks was sort of a lot more focused on like the the really really sort of like advanced data science and the really the, the machine learning and all, all of the cool types of uh, of really advanced analytical processing that you could do, but most companies aren't doing. So one one like the the Snowflake sort of initial sales deck, and we're talking really really high level here, but that's kind of like you know realistic. Whereas the Databricks one is quite sort of like aspirational. Um, and it was a really interesting dynamic between between the two because and as the sort of the companies are evolving and as you're sort of seeing that very very like public battle for supremacy play out it's is really interesting to kind of see see those two different points and and actually like you know from my own experience um we we, we kind of we went down different paths so you know we we use uh we use snowflake for for storage uh for our storage system because it's really really good at that and it's sort of it's it started um uh it, it was that model of kind of you know you come in and it's it's, it's a, a, a an infinitely scalable database and it, it just works and then we use databricks for what are relatively sort of like basic pipelines at the moment with a view to kind of like progressing onto that in in the future um but uh yeah i, I just thought it was like a really really good way of kind of like identifying the the sort of the, the niche of the two companies because they're both going after the same thing um but back to your original question so i was a bit of a bit of a tangent um i really liked that article um but yeah so how do you how do you kind of like instill confidence in your organization um there's there's lots of organizations have things like uh, you know guilds and user groups and um uh and, and sort of like established ways of communicating with people which is which is really really good and if you don't if you don't have that then then that's that's a sort of like a really a really good starting point you know we, we spoke a second ago about the difference between sort of big communities and small communities and if you don't already have like if you're not already part of a small community then a really really good place to set up that small commu uh, community initially is in the place that you work you know if, you, if you're working in a data job and you're struggling with data problems and, and you are in a uh, a data role or, or a data leadership position and you don't you're not part of a community then set one up in the organization that you're in it doesn't it doesn't have to be sort of like you know uh, have a specific outcome other than you know improving improving the quality or availability of data within within the organization it can be sort of you know starting just to just a mechanism to talk about those problems um but yeah like I, and I think the other the other thing that's really really important in organisations is is to allow people to be to be open, right? And to to kind of give people that sense of psychological safety, where you know it, it, it's okay to say this isn't working in the way that I want it to work, or this isn't this isn't sort of doing what I need it to do, and that not to be seen as a sort of like a, a personal attack or an insult to anyone, or not not to be taken as you know someone's not doing their job, to be taken for it to be taken as kind of like yeah you know. That if you're saying that, then that's a problem. It's a problem to to be like prioritized and solved, and taking that sort of uh, taking that approach is, is is really the best the best way an organization can be. Because if you if you don't have that ability to have open and honest conversations, you're not going to get the open and honest truth from from people. Do you think there's specific things that companies or organizations can do to foster more of that? Like creation of guilds or matching people of similar skills or you know anything that you've seen is like a good uh like a, a good practice you've seen around that um not so much not so much a good practice but more more sort of like finding finding the right people uh, and you know a really a really great approach is often sort of like you know the person the person that comes to you and says you know wouldn't it be great if we had a guild to do this well, yeah of course 
go off, off you go like you're, you're 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 empowered to do it you don't you don't need my you don't need my permission or you don't need anyone's permission if, if you think there's an opportunity then then go go try it out and go see go see what you can what you can get from that yeah you um, tell that person it sounds like you just volunteered right? yeah exactly <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I mean and you know we've we've got good experience with that um one of one of my team that exact thing happened and, and he went off and set up our first uh, our first day today where we sort of got together all the various different divisions and it wasn't even specifically about analytics about people working working with data in uh, in our company and, uh, and he brought them all together and did a really really good job of it so yeah that 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 works quite well and, and meant i didn't have to do it as well which is nice now this is a really good point that you brought that you're bringing up about the company culture is making sure that the company itself is fostering this open communication, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think the, this whole vibe, this whole brand that we've kind of been instilling about the honest, no BS. I mean, we I, I say this not just as a, as, as a branding funny thing, is that I, I genuinely believe that we just need to have more of these honest, no BS conversations. And we need to sit down and, and, and like, hey, I want to go talk to you and tell you what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not. Uh, can I just share with you what I'm thinking? And can I get your input and get your insights around that? I think, yeah. I think we're, we're, we just, if we can kind of all realize that we're all in this together and especially nowadays in this, in this whole modern data stack and all these different tools, like you see people writing about this stuff is like, Oh, it looks like people kind of figured this out and I haven't figured it out. I'm like, Honest, I'll, I call BS. I don't think anybody's figure, figuring this stuff out. And, 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 and even if even if someone has figured it out, they figured it out for the specific organization that they work. Bingo. In. And it's Bingo. not it's not going to it's not necessarily transferable. It's not and and that that same approach isn't going to work somewhere else because data how an organization uses data, what they uh, what they get from it, what they want from it is probably one of the most unique aspects of an organization. It's like an organization's fingerprint. Um, I was trying to think of a good uh, metaphor for this, and I, I came up with something uh, yesterday morning at 4 a.m. on my way to Estonia, so it might actually not be very good. But, um, you know, I, I, I am in my mid-30s now, and, and being being outside in my garden is quite appealing to me these days. And I kind of I kind of thought of the difference between a uh, sort of like a, a data project and a, and a data culture. So, you know, a, a data project is is relatively easy to be successful at. It's, it's very targeted. It's It's got clear boundaries. There's not a lot of uncertainty to it. So, you know, for example, if you want to make a certain data set available, if you want to create a, create a report, if you want to empower a team to be self-service, these things have, have clear boundaries they they're, they're sort of it's, it's easy to understand what you're aiming for and that's the sort of in my metaphor that's kind of going outside and going you know what i'm tired of all this work in the garden i'm going to concrete over the whole thing and make a nice patio and get some furniture all of that is very much within your control maybe you can't do the concreting yourself but you can certainly get someone to come in and do it and it's, it's very easily achievable the cultural aspect is the complete opposite of that right there, there are things in there that are outside of your control uh, there's so many different variables. There's so many different uh, different influences to to what a culture can be. You can't possibly be responsible for it yourself. You can influence it. You can you can sort of like help to guide it, but you can't you can't sort of like be sure of your success. And that's the equivalent, for, certainly for me anyway, of trying to grow anything. Where you kind of you need the sun, you need the rain, you need the right soil, you need to know you plant the right plant, plant the right plants. And you know you can experiment with it, you can get better, you can try things, but it takes a good few seasons to get it right. And and it's not something that will ever will ever be finished because just as soon as you 
you find something that works and you start actually growing some vegetables, the slugs come and eat it all, and then you've got to try something else. So like that, that's the kind of like in, in my head, I was trying to draw a parallel to, to sort of like things that are easy to be successful at, which are kind of like self-contained projects. And, and then I guess the prize that we're all going after, which is that change in culture, which is a lot harder and, and it's harder because a, it's unique to the organization, but it, it, it's there's so much that's outside of your control as well, and you, you can't you can't ever guarantee being successful at it. You know, we we talk a lot about the data lake and the data warehouse, but maybe it is more like a data garden. Yeah, <laughs> who knows if your your crop's going to work out that day, and what weird slugs are going to come up and and, and mess things. Yeah. Up. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing as well because it never like it, it doesn't change, it doesn't finish ever because there, there, and there isn't there isn't an endpoint because the business is constantly evolving. The, that means the data is constantly evolving as well. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't have an endpoint, uh, and you can't like and because it doesn't have an endpoint, you can't even ever really say that you've been successful at it because it's not a it's not a fixed thing. It's not a it's not a kind of like we have achieved success. We're done. Culture culture established. Off we go. You know, you can you can have the the pointers that say we feel like we've got a good data culture. We feel like things are working well. There are areas that we can improve, but like you know, we feel, we feel like we're on a good path. But you're never going to finish it. That, that that that's that's a great point about uh, you're you're never done. However, we need to define success. So so how do we define so from from a personal perspective? Like, what does success look like? even for me within my organization and for the products that I'm doing, because at some point I need to, I do need to hit some milestones and you need, I, 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 my career, I want to go to the next thing. Like how, how are you kind of seeing success here for your own personal role and also kind of for the products that you're doing? I, I mean, I, 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 I get the whole, it's, it's never done, but we have to call success for some things. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing. So maybe it's an oversimplistic view. I think like success, success is better. Right. So if, if something if something is better, that that's the success, how better and how like how much better and, and sort of like the scale of better. That's that's the real measure. Right. Because you can't like if you've if you've improved something, you have been successful in, in, in your task, depending on the milestone, depending on what you're aiming for, that that kind of like depend that, that that sort of dictates how successful. But ultimately, even just even just moving the needle a little bit, like especially on these big kind of like less defined cultural changes even sort of like getting some engagement that's that's better and that that is a measure that's a measure of success in itself um in terms of in terms of whether you like whether you feel like you're you're doing a good job or not i think that's another part of imposter syndrome that, that i certainly struggle with like i i come from an engineering background and my back sort of back in the good old days life was nice and simple you, you come in in the morning you sit down you write some code uh, you put it to production, eventually it doesn't break. You've been successful. Well done. Good job. Go home. Um, whereas the the more sort of like strategic and leadership type roles, the success is, is a lot harder to, to quantify. And even when you are successful, even, even when you do improve something, even when you make something better, there's still a, a huge amount of things that need to be done there's still it could always be better it could always there's parts of it that if you've if you've established data culture in one area of the business or, or you've got sort of like you know data stewardship model or whatever it may be there's other areas of the business where they're you know, potentially lagging behind and, and that's something to fix so i think like i i think the nature of the sort of more strategic roles is quite hard to it's quite hard to sort of like 
be confident in your own in your own success purely because there's always there's always more to do there's always there's always more to go and it's very i find it personally very difficult to kind of like to sort of to take the win um and if there's anyone listening who's kind of like you know wondering if they're in the same boat i think there's a really there's a really simple test right if you if you think back over the last 3 months and try and remember the the three most positive comments um that you've been given and the three most negative comments that you've been given I would say probably for most people, they're able to identify the negative comments uh, more quickly because they're the ones that stick. They're the ones that they're the ones that you remember. So you kind of have that that weight of the the sort of like the negativity that you hold on to, uh, which again is sort of like sapping away your ability to feel successful or to feel like you've sort of improved things, even even when everything's indicating that you have. You know, Steve, this this has been <laughs> hugely insightful to really think about how to how to think about culture, how to think about our own feelings of expertise or lack of expertise on things, our own career trajectories, how organizations can help us. You know, one other topic that we get asked about is, um, you know, sort of this relationship between expertise and sort of visibility and brashness on social media. Um, and, uh, you know, that, uh, this sort of sometimes when we think about leaders in any space, but also in the data, data space, right. We think about like, well, who, who's, who do I see most often in my, in my feed and how strong are the opinions that they are wagering? Right. Um, what, what are your thoughts on sort of the, you know, the realm of social media and its impact on imposter syndrome and our own expertise and, and how do you, um, and how do you get more confident to maybe be a little more honest, no BS on social media? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good, a, a quite a common opinion. So I, I've taken myself off most social social media for precisely this reason, because it's uh, it's quite difficult to uh, to, to cut through the noise. Um, I, I think I, it, it, it's, it's challenging because, you you know, you can you can know that people human nature is to kind of like post the things that you either want people to know uh, or the or, or the, the things that you like you want people to, to see like you know, there are, I'm sure there are people that kind of post that they got up in the morning and they put their socks on and then they had some cereal, but you know, who cares? Um, but you, know, you, you kind of, you, you post things that you think are going to be interesting or that you think, you think other, not even necessarily you think other people will benefit from in most cases. You, a lot, a lot of the time it's what you want other people to see. Um, and I think that's, that's the noise on social media. Like some, in, in some instances, it's, it's, it's great. Um, and like, you know, if you're talking with a friend, if you're talking with someone you haven't caught up with and they're saying, you know, like I've just bought this, bought this new car, I've worked really hard for it. I'm really pleased about it. Like you can get really excited about it. If it's just a whole bunch of people that you are sort of like tenuous friends with, and it's just a stream of people showing off the new car or the new house or the new puppy. And, you know, it, it just becomes, it becomes very, very negative. And the same, the same applies to, uh, to LinkedIn. Um, which is, I think, sort of, you know, the main business social network. But I think sort of LinkedIn also kind of gets that um, that that tough rap of, you know, it not being, it's not meant to be Facebook, it's not meant to be Instagram. So whenever people do sort of like post non-work things, you come in for criticism or, you know, whatever whatever that may be. Um, thinking about the people that I follow, um, I, I don't really follow people in, in particular. I spend a lot of time browsing through LinkedIn and as as most people do, you do the death scrolling and sc scanning through for something for something to jump out. And what I'm really looking for is is I'm looking to kind of uh, I'm looking for something that will 
challenge me in a in a constructive way like some someone who's who's approached a problem in a different way to me someone who who has a problem that that you know maybe, maybe that they they can't solve or has or has an opinion that's sort of like different to mine in a in a constructive way and what what i mean by that is sort of like you know to to jump on the the, the data mesh bandwagon like you know someone say I, I think i think this is a good application of data mesh whereas maybe i don't as opposed to i think data mesh will solve all of our problems because you, you're never going to have a good conversation with the starting point like that um because yeah the obvious answer is no it won't um so again like you gotta you gotta kind of pick and choose the people that you follow you gotta you gotta be really try and have like a wide variety of people don't don't focus on on specific people um and you know try and go for try and go for people who maybe don't have lots and lots of followers go go might maybe try and go for people who don't have uh like a nice curated sort of social media presence try try and go for the ones that kind of like do it because they just want to expose like a bit of themselves in whatever way that is they're not they're not looking to to be a personality or to be a sort of you know a, a linkedin star or whatever the term might be <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm used to the idea of like a Twitter celebrity, but like the yeah. idea of a LinkedIn celebrity just feels a little weird. But um, but I guess there are some, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I like what you're posing here is like some different ways to play this game a little bit, right? There's sort of more the, um, you know, there's folks who want to post a lot and they want to have their big opinions and things like that. And that's one thing, right? That's one way to sort of work with that network. Um, and, and obviously there's things that people can do to feel more comfortable with kind of letting their ideas hang out there, right? Um, but it sounds like there's also a great way to engage with these communities where you're just you're you're consuming and you're looking for alternative points of view and 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 kind of approaching it more from that perspective. So I I, I like thinking of it from a couple of those different angles. Yeah, and, and if if something's written to kind of grab your attention, then you got to kind of ask yourself why why your attention is being grabbed. Why why sort of you know there's there's a lot out there, but there's so many posts that start you know something controversial and then show me more and you get a big and, and again, sorry, data, data well, mesh is dead or something like that. Well, I think it's time to go for our lightning round. Uh, so uh, let's move to it, which is uh, presented by data.world, who luckily lets us do this every Wednesday. So thank you so much. So I'm going to kick it off. Can someone find those small communities of people if they're sticking only to virtual mediums? uh yeah yeah because they don't they don't have to be formal they don't have to be they don't have to be a sort of like a, an established community of people um i uh, a good example is um there was there was a, a a company that i started speaking to um uh when we bought a data catalog on them it's, it's, it's not data world i'm sorry um but um we we do have a data catalog um but um yeah we i got speaking to uh, uh to this company just to, to help us implement it we didn't actually end up um engaging with them in any way but the the person that i was speaking to we we enjoyed talking to each other and we we sort of just said you know let's let's catch up again in, in a few months and see where we're at and over the course of a, a year or so that conversation expanded one of his colleagues joined in and we ended up just speaking sort of like three or four times three or four times a year just to kind of catch up with one another and you know an hour would go by we wouldn't necessarily solve anything we wouldn't have a specific objective but we'd kind of have that cathartic exercise of um of just sort of you know trying to talk about why things are hard and how, how you can progress things and that's a really good example of a very very small community that just developed organically so yeah like they're they're 
they're easy to find if you're looking for them but if if you can't find them they're quite easy to make as well you just need to kind of have a conversation with someone and then once you finish that conversation say well you know i really enjoyed this let's let's do it again and then actually do it again like put something in the diary um and, and kind of make it happen and and i think that there's there's quite a lot of opportunity for that in in this industry mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I think I know the answer to this next question based on our previous conversation, but I'm uh, I'm curious um, how you'll respond, which is, can, can you be seen as a data expert if you don't want to play the social media game? I hope so, because I don't post anything on that. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I, I think I think you can like I, I, and, and again, it depends on it depends on what you want to get out of it. Like I, I'm, I'm very much a consumer. I don't I don't post a lot on LinkedIn. Um, I don't. I, I, you know, I always, always want to write more. I always want to blog. I always want to, I, I never quite find the time for it or make the time, I guess is the right way of saying it. Um, but I do, I do consume a lot. So I, I think maybe, maybe uh, you, you can certainly be a, a an expert uh, or you know, whatever, whatever an expert means as a, as a kind of consumer of media, as a consumer of social media, you don't have to be sort of telling the whole world about why you're an expert all the time to, to be an expert. All right, third question. Is the imposter feeling something something to be overcome or embraced? Uh, I think embraced. I think it's it's one of those it's one of those things that um, you know it, it, it's it's a, a feeling of anxiety, a feeling of awkwardness that you'd rather that you'd rather not have, but I think it it's it keeps people honest, it keeps people engaged, it keeps people focused on what they're doing. It kind of keeps complacency at bay keeps people sharp. Um, so I think it, I think it's there to, to sort of, to help. I, I, I don't think it's, uh, uh, I, I don't, I think it's unpleasant, but I don't think it's a bad thing for, for one's career. I think that's fair. Keeps, keeps, keeps us in check a little bit, right? Um, okay. Final lightning round question for you. Is anyone really a data expert? Ha. No, no, I, I, I think that's a really good question, and I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think, I think you can have like you, you've got people who are very, very experienced. Um, I think, uh, I think that you have uh, people who have achieved uh, success in certain areas, and and you know, I think the, probably the closest that you can have to a data expert is someone who's achieved success in the same area multiple times in in different circumstances. Um, but I think it's, it, you know, when, when we say data, it's such a, it's such a big word. It's such a, it's such, such a huge meaning. It's, it's almost, it's almost pointless to talk about data as a, as, as a collective, because it means so many different things. So saying like, you know, if we, uh, you're, you're a data expert is a little bit like saying you're a life expert. Like you, you may, you may have, some... <laughs> you, you may I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use that and give you credit. And then, uh, I see a comment over here from LinkedIn user, which I'm going to guess it's our colleague, uh, Mark Kitson, who always shows up like that. He says, be ever beta. If you are not an imposter at times, how do you learn? There you go. Yeah. That's a really, that's a uh, really good point. All right. Well, you got one minute. We're going to the mesh minute. You got one minute to rant pontificate about data mesh. Go. Oh, I think uh, I think it's going to have to be a small rant, and I think it's it's a rant because we're uh, there, there is, I'm ranting about the data mesh minute. So my my feelings on data mesh is that it's it, it could be the the kind of the data equivalent of sort of microservice architecture in the sense that it it's a sort of it's a direction of travel. It's a 
it's a sort of uh, it, it's a way that you can kind of sort of organize the problems that you have it's a way that you can structure how your organization works into into something that's you know a little bit like a framework it's not data mesh in itself isn't a solution it's not it's not a product it's not something that you can that you can buy and i also think that it, it's at risk of becoming quite a bit buzzy so the the sort of the fact that there's so many people talking about it so there's so much going on it, it could become the next big data or no sequel Oh, four seconds now. <laughs> you got it. We're good. We're good. Again, I think everybody uh, who's been ranting, pontificating, are, I think we're all very aligned on this. I think we all yeah. agree that it's not a product, it's some organizational change and so forth. All right. TTT, Tim, take us away with takeaways. Well, the first takeaway is that we're not talking enough about the human aspect of, of data and of you know our professional careers in general. And the experience that everyone has trying to build experience, build expertise, this imposter syndrome that we face as we're trying to sort of strive for things and realize that there's stuff we don't know and there's people that we don't know. And, you know, and ultimately that's OK. Right. Um, and so really appreciate you talking about like what it means to face that <clears throat> With open eyes and uh, and really embrace it, as you kind of mentioned in the uh, the lightning round there. Um, even if you may be wrong about stuff, ultimately people are willing to help you out, right? That's this fear that somebody's going to call you out or pull the carpet out from under you um, rarely happens, and when it does, you know what? They're an asshole. <laughs> Don't worry about them, right? Um, so a lot of problems in data are, are cultural ones, right? And you talked about how, you know, products don't necessarily solve those problems and um, they're not necessarily going to solve the cultural problems of your organization. Um, but there um, is a lot of stuff that your organization can do to help you. Um, and uh, pick your battles. Uh, I thought that was a, a great uh, a talking point where you talked about, you know, is it is it worth dying on that given hill? Um, pick those hills that you want to try to die on, right? Get internal support. Um, also, uh, sometimes be okay to let go. Be okay with that. Um, sometimes put your foot down. And sometimes it's not the right time to do that. And that's uh, sort of the wisdom to know the difference, right? Yeah. Um, and then confidence can be well-placed um, and it can be misplaced. I thought that was a great quote. And then, uh, you know, it, it, it alone isn't enough. Uh, speak to as many people as you can, not just data people, but talk to business people, tech people, developers, seek out different points of view uh, and build relationships with those people. And uh, Juan, what about your takeaways? I have several here. I, I really like this idea about thinking about smaller communities. I think that was a those are those are very uh, important takeaway. Like we are also we maybe so used to having conferences and going. Like how do I figure out this noise? Start with the smaller communities, um, which means that uh, go at, talk to folks directly. And I think we need to be not just we got to be brave a little bit, but it's actually just having that honest no bs attitude i mean that, that's it like I'm I'm, I'm I'm be honest with your you're honest with yourself just kind of share that honesty with other people and they're gonna they most probably they will be open to that and if they're not they're assholes and they're just talk to people and there's talk to people out there just go away and then it's fine right so that's fine that, that's fine networking not just uh, yeah we need to network with the leaders but just also network with your peers but also folks who are not your peers because you get to learn a lot and I really like this idea. This is something I do, which is having one-on-ones, like with people that you go meet. I'm like, can we just go talk for 30 minutes? And hey, this this actually felt like a cool conversation. 
and 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 we're not i'm not here to go sell you i'm not here i'm like this is i need to have some therapy in a way right and let's go chat again in a month i mean that's what i've been doing with a lot of people heck with my my buddy mohammed osser we actually started this whole data and knowledge therapy session and we talk all the time because we just like i read this thing i read this thing and so forth so i think that having those one-on-ones and just go talk just ping people about it i really like conversation about company culture right so first of all if you're not part of that small community guess what your company is probably the best place to go to start that like that, that that small community and and companies really need to foster having this open conversations let people be comfortable saying saying things hey if it's not working don't consider it as attack like that's a problem let's go fix that uh and, and i think as you mentioned fostering and encouraging guilds or these small communities within your company right that's how to go generate that open uh, communication and collaboration we see people go posting about all this stuff about, hey, you. they, they seem to have figured things out. But re- remember, like they figured it out for their organization doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody else. Um, this notion, I like. Uh, we talked about the data garden, right? That garden mentality. This season, you face slugs, right? It doesn't have to have an endpoint. It's not a fixed thing. You don't always achieve data success. But there is the success there that it's getting better, right? It's improving. Um, I like how we talk about social media in the sense of, Look for posts that challenge yourself, right? That, that are different than what you're thinking. Uh, and then finally, if you say data experts, it's like saying, oh, you're a life expert. Like, I love that quote. So, uh, Steve, how did we do? Uh, uh, really it's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's really like we, we covered a lot of ground, actually. Uh, and uh, I think this is this is my my sort of style of conversation. There's sort of like a, a long, long winding path that, uh, that doesn't necessarily have to have a conclusion, but it's it's enjoyable nonetheless. So back to you, two questions. What's your advice? We went through a lot, but what's your final advice about data, about life, whatever? And second, who should invite next? Yeah, I, I guess this is relevant to data and life, but you know, change change always takes much longer than you think. Um, so you know, try and break that change down into smaller goals, smaller steps that are achievable. Again, this is this is fairly, fairly common stuff. But like, see those see those smaller goals as sort of like steps along the path uh, to that actual eventual end goal. And as long as you're still progressing towards that, then you're you're, go- you're getting closer to where you want to be. It's, it's, it's a battle. Um, and the one thing that I wanted to finish with is just before I uh, I, I joined the, the podcast, I was in a bar, um, and on the bar uh, was a, a glass with something written on it that was actually I'd never seen it before, and it was fantastic. So written on this glass on the bar in, in an Irish pub in Tallinn was the quote. If you fear change, leave a tip in the jar, uh, which I think is a great, a great uh, quote with regards to sort of changing a culture and, and changing changing data. Love that! Another great quote. So, who should um, we invite next? So, I don't, I don't have anyone specific, uh, but you know, the, we we started talking because I said it would be great. To, oh, I, I thought it would be great to hear from more people facing problems, more people sort of, kind of, at the coalface, as it were. Um, so really, more more practitioners, more not necessarily more people like me, uh, but sort of more more people who are uh, who are having challenges, more more people who kind of want to want to you know rant about how hard things are a bit, and and not necessarily sort of like have have solutions, just sort of come with sort of come with challenges and then being willing to share those challenges and be, being sort of open and honest about that would be good. Love it. Yeah, great suggestion. Sure actually going to call out for anybody out there if you if, if you want to go rant and talk about problems there's reach us reach us out reach out i'm one at data.world very simple so well with that 
let's wrap up here. Uh, just quick reminders. Next week, we have Nick Handel, who's the CEO of Transformed. We're going to be talking about metrics and semantics layer. This is a big popular topic right now. After that, on May 4th, we're going to be live at the Knowledge Graph Conference uh, with Francois Scharf. So uh, sign up for the Knowledge Graph Conference. We're going to be there and talking about like real world practitioners. After that, I think we're going to have Omar Kajo. Kaiwala, I think from Roche, we're going to talk about their real world implementation of data mesh and all the problems that they've gone through and how they're doing right now. So with that, Steve, thank you so much. And thanks as always, data.world for supporting Catalog and Cocktails. Steve, time to go to bed. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Cataloging Cocktails fan base.